Well, we're going to read now from God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to it in Luke chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen for you to read along. Let's remember that this is the Word of the Lord. Let's read God's Word together. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. We're also going to read from Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This morning, we're going to be thinking about the beauty of a holy life. But let's pray now and ask God to speak to us through this part of the Bible that we've just read. Let's talk to him. Father, we pray this morning, as we always do because we mean it, that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. So that far beyond the voice of a mere man speaking, we might hear you speak to us by your word right into the core of our very lives. Because otherwise, Lord, this is a pointless exercise. We're not here this morning to hear the dull monologue of a man. We're here this morning to hear you speak into our very lives. Only you, God, Make the difference. And to you alone we look just now to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you think of something beautiful, what comes to your mind? What is beautiful in your eyes? For me, I instinctively think of nature. I think of high mountains with beautiful valleys. I think of lakes and rivers. I think of the beautiful crisp orange autumn leaves that we're seeing just now. I think of the stars and the moon lighting up the night sky. I think of a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. Whenever I picture something beautiful in my mind, that is what I think of. What do you think of? Maybe you think of works of art. Wonderful textures and colors coming together to create something beautiful. Maybe you think of music, 
tunes and melodies and tempo coming together to create something glorious. Whenever you think of something beautiful, what is it that you think of? One of the things that the Bible says is that holiness is beautiful. I don't know if you noticed, but whenever I read at the start of our service, Psalm 96, it said this, it said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. According to the Bible, holiness is beautiful. A holy life is something which is admirable, something attractive, something that looks nice, something that should evoke feelings of pleasure and delight. Holiness, the Bible says, is beautiful. But as we touched on briefly last week, sometimes whenever we think of holiness in our minds, sometimes whenever we think of a holy life, it doesn't seem beautiful in our minds. Sometimes whenever we picture living a holy life, it seems that that life might be unattractive and unpleasant and not very nice. The great preacher Jonathan Edwards, who died in 1758, he puts his finger on the the, the kind of contrast between real holiness and what we sometimes feel about holiness. He writes this. He says, holiness is a most beautiful, lovely thing. Yet people are apt to drink in strange notions of holiness from their childhood as if it were melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing. But there is nothing in it but what is sweet and ravishingly lovely. Do you see what Edward says? He says, listen, see, whenever people think of living a holy life, sometimes they think it's something morose, something very sad and depressing and ugly. But Edward says it's not. It's beautiful. And I love that last bit. It's ravishingly lovely. So here's the question. If holiness is beautiful, if living a life is attractive and glorious and lovely, why on earth do we sometimes think that it's sad and ugly? Well, I think there's a very simple reason for that. And the reason is because I think very often, whenever we think of living a holy life, what we're thinking about is a life of counterfeit holiness. If you imagine holiness to be unpleasant, if you imagine holiness to be something sad and unattractive, I think it's because whenever you're picturing holiness, you're picturing counterfeit holiness. Take a look at these two Ferraris. Do you see those Ferraris? Now, I don't know about you, but I can see a big difference between these three Ferraris. Now, they both have the Ferrari badge on them, but if you look at that top Ferrari, it is a counterfeit Ferrari. And it is ugly, isn't it? It's ugly. It's ugly compared to the real thing. Look at that bottom car. Look at the sleek lines. Look at the wing mirrors. Look at the shape of it. Look at the wheels. The real thing is beautiful, but the counterfeit thing is ugly. And this morning, if you imagine living a holy life to be an unpleasant, sour, morose, kind of ugly thing, it's because what you're picturing in your mind is counterfeit holiness. 
And what Jesus does in, in the New Testament through his life and through his teaching is he does two things. One of the things he does is he, he shows us some of the marks of counterfeit holiness. He shows us some of the markers of holiness that, that isn't real holiness, the holiness that is unattractive and ugly and leads to sadness. And then through his life, Jesus shows us a picture of real holiness. And it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it's attractive. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take you into some of Jesus' teaching about counterfeit holiness so that you know how to spot it. And then I want to take you in to real holiness so that you see its beauty. So what is counterfeit holiness? What are some of the markers? Well, that's what we see in the passage we read in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus had been teaching the people and there were some Pharisees there. They were the most holy religious people of the day. If you wanted to see a holy person and you said to someone, listen, show me someone who's holy, they would have pointed to Pharisees. Pharisees kept, took holiness seriously. The word Pharisee, it means separate. They took holiness so seriously, they separated themselves from other people. They, they made up their own rules about what it meant to live a holy life, and they kept them very strictly. So these holy people, they'd been listening to Jesus' teaching. And Jesus' teaching, it was radical. It was different. It rubbed them up the wrong way. And so one time after Jesus has been teaching, they invite him for dinner. We read that at the start of that passage. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Now, what you have to understand here, this wasn't a kind of friendly invitation. This wasn't the Pharisee saying, hey, Jesus, we see you're one of us. Come and join us. We'd love to eat with you. No, this is something that is called a symphonium. A sorry, a symposium. And what they were doing here is they were taking Jesus off to eat with him so they could test him so that they could suss him out, so they could check out his character and his teaching. I don't have a daughter, but if I did and she got a boyfriend, do you know what I would do? I would invite him to play 18 holes of golf with me. And on the surface, that would seem like a lovely invitation, wouldn't it? But what I know is that I've got him for four hours and I can grill him and I can see his character. And I can see if he meets my standards as a dad of a daughter who I wouldn't want to give to him, perhaps. And that's what's going on here in Luke 11. They're taking Jesus out for 18 holes of golf so they can check him out to see if he meets their standard. It doesn't get off to a very good start for the Lord Jesus. He doesn't impress them with the first thing that he does. In fact, what he doesn't do. Jesus, right from the start, does not seem to meet their standard of holiness. Do you notice what Luke said? It said that he, that's Jesus, went in and reclined at the table. Jesus went in and he sat down at the table ready to eat. And it says this, but the Pharisee, that's the Pharisee who invited him, was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash before the meal. The Pharisee had brought Jesus to the house to check him out and the first thing Jesus does is he doesn't wash his hands. And the Pharisee puts a little negative mark on Jesus' score sheet. 
tut, tut. How unholy is Jesus? He didn't wash before the meal like we all do. Minus 10 for Jesus. And right away, we see a mark of counterfeit holiness here. You see, something that counterfeit holiness does is that it insists on keeping man-made rules and traditions. It insists on keeping rules that God has not put in place. It insists on keeping traditions that God has not given. This is one mark of counterfeit holiness. It's amazing, isn't it? The Pharisees thought they were more holy than Jesus because they washed their hands. It sounds so ridiculous. But what the Pharisees had done, they had elevated these man-made rules and these man-made traditions to be equal to the commands of God. In their minds, to be holy meant not only keeping God's command, but keeping all of these unwritten rules that their culture had developed over time. Counterfeit holiness insists that man-made traditions, that keeping man-made rules are equal to the commands of God and that they must be kept in order to live a holy life. I wonder, can, can you see this in our culture today? It might be uncomfortable But I think that if we were to look very, very carefully at the church of Jesus Christ today, even here in Northern Ireland, is this not so often what we do? Do we not elevate man-made rules and man-made traditions to be equal to the commands of God and look down on anyone who doesn't meet them? And think even of ourselves as being unholy if we don't meet them? Let me give you a couple of examples. Sometimes in the church in Northern Ireland, we elevate personal Bible reading to be up there with one of God's commands. If you don't read your Bible every day, you're not really a holy person, are you? If you don't spend time in prayer and personal devotion every day, are you really a Christian? Can you really count yourself as holy? Ever heard something like that? Ever been made to feel something like that? Don't get me wrong. Reading the Bible every day is a great thing to do. And whenever it comes to week five on this series, I'm going to encourage us to read our Bible every day. Or regularly. But let me say it very clearly. It is commanded nowhere in Scripture that we must read the Bible every day or else we can't be holy. And it makes sense, doesn't it? There are huge swathes of the world which don't even have a Bible to read. Does that mean they can't be holy? Of course not. It's because we have elevated that idea that that it's spiritual discipline and a command of God are the same thing. They're not. Let me give you a controversial one. What about alcohol? 
Can a Christian enjoy a glass of wine? Can a Christian enjoy a glass of beer? Can they? In some circles, absolutely not. You can't have a glass of wine or a glass of beer if you're a Christian. Really? Really? Is that not something that has happened in Northern Ireland from 1829 and the start of the temperance movement? Is that not a tradition that we hold here so tightly? But if you go to England or America or New Zealand or somewhere else, it's not even an issue. The Bible is clear. Drunkenness should not, is not befitting of a follower of Christ. Drunkenness is a vice that we should run from and resist. Drunkenness is not befitting of a Christian. But the Bible does not condemn enjoying a glass of wine. Now, don't mishear me here. I am not encouraging the drinking of alcohol. I'm not. But what I am saying is that sometimes we can elevate these rules that we have made so highly that we consider anyone who breaks our rules and our traditions to be not holy. And we judge them and we condemn them. And whenever we start to do that, when we start to, to live out man-made rules and elevate them so highly and judge anyone who doesn't meet these man-made rules, that is a type of holiness that is not attractive. And it's not beautiful. And it's not appealing. Counterfeit holiness insists on the keeping of man-made rules and traditions. And it elevates them to being equal to the commands of God. And holiness like that is not attractive. Another mark of holiness then that we see in this encounter with Jesus and the Pharisee is that counterfeit holiness focuses on appearing holy on the outside but is not concerned with being holy on the inside. Let me say that again. Counterfeit holiness is concerned with being holy on the outside, appearing holy without actually being holy within. Do you know what Jesus called the Pharisees over and over and over again? He called them hypocrites. And what a hypocrite was it, was, it was like an actor, one who wore a mask on stage to portray something to the audience. But behind the mask, that's not what they were. And Jesus over and over again says to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. On the outside, you portray this holiness to impress people, to be revered as being holy people, but inwardly your hearts are not holy. In Luke 11, talking to this Pharisee, you know, it's nice they're at a meal here and I like this illustration because Jesus kind of moves past the meal and he starts to think about doing the dishes. And you notice what he says? He says, okay, think about, think about the dishes, Pharisees. He says this, now, you, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. You Pharisees, you're like people who when you do the dishes, you only clean the outside of the cup and you don't clean what's in it. You Pharisees, you're like people who do the dishes and you've got a big, stinking, dirty pot and all you're interested when it comes to the dishes is making sure that the outside is nice and clean. 
want you to imagine a cup of coffee that's been sitting for two weeks with milk in it. Um, that happens sometimes in the minister's room. And it's gross. It's really gross. You pick up the cup. You haven't seen it for two weeks. You have a look inside. The milk is curdled. It's disgusting. The coffee is kind of dried around the edge. There's this rim of scum. And there's a bit of mold. It's gross. Now imagine. Imagine this. Imagine I took that cup. And I went over to the sink. And I turned the taps on. And I got the cloth out. And I just washed the outside of the cup. Looked and thought, that looks pretty good. And I looked inside and it was gross, but I didn't. I just ignored it. And I put it back on the shelf in the kitchen in the halls. And I stood back and I went, yeah, that, that looks good. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? And yet this is what counterfeit holiness does. It focuses on trying to appear holy on the outside without having any concern about being holy within. That is a second mark of counterfeit holiness. Are you a person like this this morning? Does this resonate with you? Do you know people like this this morning? Put on a holy show. Whenever you're around others, you you say the right things. Whenever you're in church, you do the right things. Whenever you're in work, you you try to portray yourself as a holy person. But behind the scenes, when the camera's off, when you're backstage, that's not who you are. In your heart, there's no real holiness. It's just a show. Do you know people like that this morning? Does that describe you this morning? You see, genuine holiness, do you know what it does? It springs out of the heart. In another passage in one of the Gospels, Jesus says that that unclean things come out of the heart. Idolatry, murder, anger. Jesus says they spring from the heart. They come from what's in the heart. And it's the same with holiness. Real holiness springs from what's inside. Real holiness says the right thing because the heart wants to say the right thing. Real holiness does the right thing because the heart now, changed by God, filled with the Spirit, wants to do the right thing. And it's really interesting. That's why a life of of genuine holiness is so attractive because people are actually doing what they want to do. It's not a chore to be holy. It's a delight. It's being who you really are. This morning, if you're living a life where it's just a show, where you're just trying to be holy, where you're just trying to appear holy, but you've got no holiness in your heart, that's going to be a hard life to live. And that's a mark of counterfeit holiness. The final mark that we see in this passage then is this. It's that counterfeit holiness majors on keeping God's minor commands, but neglects keeping his greatest commands. Now again, don't misunderstand what I am saying here. I'm using the word minor command here. I guess none of God's commands are minor. Every command that God gives, it's important. Every command that God gives, it's to be taken seriously. God is not giving commands to us as a joke. They're they're important and they're serious. 
But it's interesting, isn't it? Whenever Jesus is questioned on the commands, Jesus, what command is the greatest? What command is the most important? What command is the highest? Which is the the key thing? Which is the most important thing that we should be doing? Jesus doesn't say, listen, they're all important. Does he? No, he says the greatest command, the, the one that trumps everything, the one that is higher than all the rest is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And listen, there's actually a second one which is also great. The second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of God's commands are important to live out. But Jesus says there are two that are greater than all of the rest. To love God and to love people. And this is a sign of counterfeit holiness. Whenever we're so focused on keeping all of the minor commands, but we neglect the greatest two. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. This is exactly what the Pharisees are doing. Jesus sitting, eating with them again. He says, listen, he says, you are really good at keeping some of the minor commands. He says this, he says, you give a tenth of your mint and your rue and all other kinds of garden herbs. Listen, you Pharisees, you see when it comes to tithing, you see when it comes to giving God a tenth of all you have, giving it back to him as an act of worship, I tell you what, Pharisees, you're not stingy. You, you do this well. In fact, you do it so well, I know that, that you go to your herbs that you've harvested in your garden and you even take a tenth of those and you give it into the temple for God. That is good. You're good at those things, Pharisees. You're good at keeping God's minor commands. But then Jesus says this, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You're really good at the tithing. You're really good at all of that stuff. But you neglect justice. You don't love those who you should love in the way you should love them. And you don't love God. You tithe to Him but you don't love him. Folks, real holiness, genuine holiness, will love God and love people. A mark of real holiness is that someone who who lives to please God because they love him, not because they're scared of him, but because they love him. Genuine holiness will express itself in loving other people. Genuine holiness will not look at unbelievers as enemies. It will look as unbelieving people, as as people who've been taken captive by the enemy. It will love them well. It will care for them. It will point them to Jesus. Real holiness is, is not just keeping a list of rules, not just keeping the commands of God. It is part of it. Jesus does praise the Pharisees for keeping God's commands, but it's more than that. It's keeping the greatest ones. Real holiness loves God and loves others. 
And again, we, we see this counterfeit holiness in the church. Some people, they are, they are so good at keeping some of the minor commands of God, so strict when it comes to keeping the Sabbath, so strict when it comes to giving to the work of God, so strict when it comes to attending church, and all of those things are good. But they have no heart that loves God, and they have no heart that loves others. Jesus says that there is a type of holiness that is counterfeit. And my guess this morning is that if you have had a picture in your mind of holiness and it's ugly and it's not attractive and it's not appealing, my guess is you're imagining counterfeit holiness. So what is the real thing then? What does the real Ferrari look like, if you like? Well, we see it laid out in Galatians chapter 5. It's just one of the lists of what real holiness looks like. It says that real holiness looks like love. Love for God, love for other peoples. That's what a holy life looks like. A holy life, it says, will have joy in it. There will be a joy that comes from the Lord and bubbles out. A holy life will be one of joy. It'll be one of Peace resting in God's sovereignty and peacemaking with other people. It'll be one of patience recognizing God's patience with us when we blow it. And one that then shows God's patience to others as we deal with them in the nitty gritty every day of life. This week in primary schools, it was National Kindness Week. Holiness displays itself in kindness. There'll be a kindness shown to others because we've been shown kindness by God. A holy life will be one of goodness. But we'll say and we'll think and we'll do things that are good where, where people say, do you know what? He's a good guy. He does good things. We have experienced the, the goodness of God and seen his goodness and now we live out that goodness. Our lives will be marked by faithfulness. Oh, how faithful God is to us, isn't he? We turn away from him, we ignore him, we break his commands, and yet what does he do? He faithfully loves us, faithfully calls us his children, faithfully forgives us, no matter what. A holy life will reflect that to the world around us. We'll be faithful to people, faithful in our jobs, faithful in our lives. We'll be gentle. The Lord Jesus, I love watching him because he's so gentle with people, and we'll have a life of self-control. All of these things and many others are marks of a genuine holy life. Just look at those. Imagine someone who, who lived those perfectly. Imagine someone who displayed those things at all times. Wouldn't they be someone with a beautiful life? There is someone, there is someone who's shown them. And that person is Jesus. I find it amazing that no matter who you speak to, speak to an atheist, speak to a Hindu, speak to a Muslim, speak to anybody, if they've read the Gospels, what they will say about Jesus is that he was someone who lived a beautiful life. He was the most 
holy one to have ever lived, and his holiness was beautiful and attractive and glorious. Oh, how he loved people. So much he, he laid down his life for them. Oh, what humility he showed, stooping down and, and washing his friends' feet when they were caked in mud. How awesome was he at facing temptations, resisting with all his might when the devil tempted him to sin. How unwavering is in, in his obedience to the Father. There he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, feeling the weight of the cross that was coming, and yet what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done, Father. He was full of mercy, full of grace, but never at the expense of justice. He was full of truth, but never at the expense of grace. He held truth and grace together. He believed the truth, but he showed people grace. He was obedient to his parents. He forgave his enemies. He never lusted. He, he never coveted. He never lied. He loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus is the most holy person, the only fully holy person who has ever and will ever walk the face of the earth. And you can't help but look at his life and go, wow, what a beautiful life he lived. C.S. Lewis, he says this. He says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. My hope for you this morning is that God has given you or will give you a desire to live out a life of genuine holiness. My prayer has been this morning that God would give you a desire to live out this life that is beautiful and appealing and attractive. My prayer has been that God would help you see this morning that counterfeit holiness is ugly, but that genuine holiness is one of the most beautiful things in the world. As a minister, one of my roles is to conduct funerals. And I have conducted the funerals of some of your loved ones here this morning. And no doubt I will conduct some of your funerals too. And one of the things that happens to me every single funeral I attend is that I hear a eulogy. I hear a tribute. I hear about the person's life who has died. And every single time I read a tribute or hear a tribute, it makes me think about what am I living for? What sort of life do I want to live? What is the legacy I want to leave? What do I want people to be saying about me whenever I die? And what I've come to realize is that I am not really interested in having a list of things that look good on a CV. I'm not interested in people get up and say, Marty was the minister of Ravenhill Presbyterian Church from this state to this state. And he achieved this, this, and this. No, what I want are not CV characteristics read at my eulogy. What I want is people to be able to say, 
He was a man who loved others. He was patient. And he was kind. And he was gentle. And he was faithful. What I really want is that at the end of my life, not that people will use the word holy, but they'll be able to say, Marty lived a life which displayed genuine holiness. What do you want? What do you want to be said about you when the day it comes to say goodbye? Let me finish by reading you a poem which I've adapted slightly for this talk. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him know what that little dash is worth. For it matters not how much we own. The cars, the house, the cash. What matters most is how we live, how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged to live a life that's holy, full of love and joy and peace, to love our God more fully and your neighbor as yourself, to live a life that's beautiful, a life that looks like Christ's, a life that makes a difference, a life that satisfies. When it's your tribute being read, your life's actions to rehash, what are the things you hope are said about how you lived your dash? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you call us in your word to be holy as you're holy. And we know, Lord, that in and of ourselves, we, we can't live in true holiness of heart except as the Lord Jesus lives in us. We can only be holy, Lord, we know if the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and works in us. Thank you, Lord, that we have been born into your family. Thank you that we have been united with Christ. Thank you that we are one with him. And we would pray this morning that increasingly his nature and his character and his holiness would be developed in us so that we can say as Paul did, my old self has died and been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives and works through me. Oh Lord, give us a desire for genuine holiness. 
next week, help us to understand the tools that we have to live a life of genuine holiness. But Lord, for each of us, help us as we meditate on what's been said and read this morning to recognize that a holy life is a beautiful one. Lord, give us a desire to live a beautiful life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.